0: Thank you for listening to audio from Century Baptist Church. To connect with us, visit our website centurybaptist.org or download the Century Baptist Church app.
1: Father, this morning, um, we know that, that moments like this, are it's, it's true praise, but we also know that it's just a warm-up for eternity. God, when, when we're going to be proclaiming that to your face uh, for all of time. And so uh, that's who you are and we worship You. We are humbled that we get to walk in this life each day, uh, even though we are not holy, but because of Your Son, we're made right. And so we give You praise. We come now to You to just say, speak to us through Your Word. Uh, show us what it is that You want us to know about our lives, and about You and Your name. Amen. morning, everybody. Uh, just uh, before I begin, just uh, as we were just singing that and, and thinking about how uh, the angels are just continuously singing that, and, and all of those in glory. I just want to give you just a family update. Uh, pastor Willis Potratz was pastor here for, at Century for many years, and then as he retired, became Pastor Emeritus, uh, so he gained that title, and he never stopped pastoring us and caring for us and praying for us. And uh, Pastor Willis, at 99 years old, passed away on Friday night, and so we're going to miss him. We're we're gonna miss his prayers, so we're gonna need about 500 people to rise up as prayer warriors to uh to fill in for him, and uh, we're just blessed. And so we're gonna let uh, as as the family comes to town and we start to lay out some details, we'll uh, keep you informed as to um, as those memorial plans. As we know that a lot of people just want to get together and celebrate his incredible life, and so uh, I'm I'm one that uh, as a teenager. Uh, had him as one of uh, my pastors. And and when I decided and really felt the call to ministry, he was one of the guys I called to just talk about uh, that. And, um, and he's been an encouragement to me ever since. And so um, we're blessed. So you can pray for his family. Um, if you would, let's go to Matthew uh, 14. We're going to start in verse 13 today. We talked a little bit about it last week as the end of Uh, Our narrative on the death of John the Baptist, but today it's the beginning of a story, a true story that many people, if if you're familiar with the Bible, are familiar with. It's probably one of the most uh, taught uh, kind of miracles of Jesus in our Sunday school classes. I've heard it preached many, many times. Uh, Other than the resurrection, it's the only miracle that is mentioned by Jesus in all four of the Gospels. So there's some significance to it as each of the different authors give a different perspective on it as God would, uh, would lead them. Uh, usually, typically, when we, when we learn and talk about the, the feeding of the 5,000 in uh, Sunday school, there's always kind of this challenge that, that, that God can do a lot with, uh, with very little. And that's absolutely true. But today I want to lead us through kind of a looking at at all four of the Gospels and, and the telling of, of this miracle to show you then uh, ultimately really what the application is of this, uh, of this miracle and of this text that's going to lead us into uh, our time of communion. I don't, I don't downplay uh, the, the, the understanding and the, and the lesson that, that God can do uh, a lot. God does a lot with nothing. I mean, He created the universe out of nothing. And so if that wasn't enough, He just continues to do it. And we even know it in our own lives. And oftentimes we say, how could God use somebody like me? I feel invisible. And we're reminded that God does a lot with a little. I've been witness to, I remember my first year of Bible college and sitting with friends and and a friend who was going in in the mission field and saying, I'm dropping out of school. The school let me know that uh, I haven't been able to pay my bill. I don't have any money. And so I got to go work and then I'll come back. And start o- over again, and we would just get together, and we would pray, and within days, they would open their mailbox up, and just random uh, anonymous uh, cash or checks from somebody in the church back home that they haven't even talked to in years would just show up, because God does a lot uh, with, with nothing, and, and that is, it's great for us uh, to know that, and we see it again in this text, but again, I just want to take us maybe even just a step further today as we, uh, as we walk uh, through this. Five loaves, two fish, to feed thousands of people is, should be absolutely mind-blowing and should draw us to, to God to say, so, so what is it that you want to do in, in my life or in my family's lives? Um, I hope that what we can see in this today is we've looked at so many miracles of Jesus, so much of His teaching, but I hope that today we can really just sit back and go, wow, Jesus is amazing. Here's what it says. Matthew writes this in, starting in verse 13 of chapter 14. Let's stand together as I read this. When Jesus heard this, that is we go back that His cousin John the Baptist had been murdered, He withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place all by Himself. When the crowds heard it, they followed Him on foot from the towns. And when He went ashore, He saw a great crowd and He had compassion on them and he healed their sick. Now when it was evening, the disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place. The day is over. Send the crowds away to go into the villages to buy food for themselves. And Jesus said, they need not go away. You give them something to eat. And they said to him, but we only have five loaves and two fish. And he said, bring them here to me. Then he ordered the crowds to sit down on the grass. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing. Then he broke the loaves, gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the crowds, and they all ate and were satisfied, and they took up 12 baskets full of the broken pieces left over. And those who ate were about 5,000 men besides the women and children. That's God's word. Pretty amazing. You can have a seat. Let's jump into it a little bit to see this incredible work that, that Jesus did. First of all, as we break this down, what I want to talk about today is, is who Jesus is. And I want to start by just showing that he's, he was a caregiver. His heart actually went out to people. It wasn't just about the someday when he would give his life on the cross for the most important thing that he could do, is sacrifice for our sins. But while he lived this life... He cared for people, even if they didn't care about him. Remember, he had just come from Nazareth. We talked about that a couple of weeks ago, whereas his hometown basically kicked him out. Said, we don't believe in what you're saying. We don't care about you. We, you're, you're a nobody and you're a nothing. And so they sent him out and then he goes out and then he finds out that his cousin had been murdered and he just says, I just, I just got to get away. That's the humanity of Jesus is he he understands what we go through, that, that when stuff just gets to be heavy for us, we just want to somewhat, at times, just isolate, get alone with God, cry out before Him. Jesus was no different. In Mark chapter 6, uh, in, in the telling of, of this miracle, it said that Jesus had sent His disciples away by themselves to go and do ministry without Him. So this was the first time that they actually got to experience the power of the Spirit working through them as they went out and they healed and they preached repentance to the people repent for the kingdom of heaven is near and they were now coming back jesus gets away uh, by himself to a desolate place and his disciples now come back from the surrounding villages where where they had been doing great things and they find him and the crowds are following the disciples because they've just seen pretty incredible things and they hear that jesus is over there and so all of a sudden just this mass of thousands and thousands of people are uh, surrounding jesus who just wanted to be alone. Ever feel that way? Like, I just need a minute to just process what's going on, and I just want to be alone. And all of a sudden, the knock on the door, Mom! Right? Dad! Let me, the phone won't stop ringing. People need you, and you just want to run and hide. But Jesus um, says that He showed compassion on the crowd. That, that's that's who he was, that's how he lived. Um, the uh, scholars say. I mean, we know from Matthew. Matthew says it was five thousand men, plus the women and children. So the crowd was probably well over twenty thousand people there that day. In other words, it was just a, a massive amount of people that could have been incredibly overwhelming for Jesus. And, and uh, here they come and. Uh, after him, and you'd think he'd be like, you know what, guys, let's get back in that boat, let's get out of here. Like, I, I just need, I just need time. I need to be uh, left alone. Add to it that Jesus went away to be by himself. He's, he's just kind of reeling in the loss of his cousin, but also, as we talked about last week, what that means for him. Jesus knows why he's here on this earth, and he knew why John the Baptist was there. If John the Baptist was killed, it was just another chapter closed and a new chapter opening up to his demise on this earth so there was a bit of been a lot going on and then here come his disciples and jesus is having a moment where he's lost a family member and he probably feeling very alone and he just wants to be alone and then the disciples come along they're like you're never going to believe the awesome stuff that happened in our lives right it doesn't don't you hate that when that happens it feels like when you're so low along come family and friends and and they're like how's your day oh it's terrible really because mine's amazing let me tell you all of the great things that are happening, and you strive so hard. Like, I'm so happy for you, right? It's hard. But they come, and, and Jesus has a conversation with, with them, uh, and, and it says that He stopped, and He saw the crowd, and He had compassion on them. In other words, His, his heart connected with the people. He, he thought and cared outside of, of Himself. Biblical compassion, and to understand this, is far beyond just a feeling of I'm sorry. Biblical compassion is actually empathizing uh, with somebody who's in the midst of suffering and being led to reduce their suffering. So it's not just a, I'm going to sit with you while, and, and we're going to be sad together. It's act, compassion is actually going above and beyond for the sake of the other person. It's looking outside of yourself. Uh, I heard a story of a first-grade teacher, and she was uh, had been in the middle of of teaching her students fractions, and they got a a, a number of new students that came uh, through a refugee program that were in her class, and she was uh, explaining on this first day that this kind of new class has now grown. She was explaining the difference between a quarter and a half. And so she asked the students, do you all understand, you know, what, what, what I've just taught you? Yes, we do. She said, okay, so if I had a chocolate bar, and I gave, you had the choice of either taking a quarter of the chocolate bar or a half, uh, which would you choose? She said, write it down on your paper. And she walked up and down the aisle, and all of the new kids that were in the class that had come through the refugee program had written down a quarter. All of the other kids had written down a half. And she said, I don't, I don't know if they get it. So she went and taught it again. And she said, now I'm just giving you the opportunity if you want to change your answer. But would you rather have a quarter or would you rather have a half? And, and finally she just stopped and she asked a young girl. She said, now why would you only want a quarter instead of a half? She said, because if I only have a quarter, that means more kids get more chocolate. Right? That's, that's the idea of compassion. It's not about it's not about me, it's about what what can I bring and give, what can I not have in order that others can have more, that they could be fulfilled. And I, I wonder for us today, uh, just in our own lives, uh, that, that if if we're willing to go with less so that others can get what they what they need. Maybe like Jesus, I don't know about you, do you ever have your, your me time just interrupted by somebody that has a need? Whether it's your kids or spouse or, or a family member, or a neighbor, and you're like, ah, I just, but I just, I just need some me That's huge in our world today. I need some me time. And, and if you get it interrupted, you just, fine, I'll go help you, but I'm not happy about it. Uh, living like Christ means I'm overjoyed to get to serve you, to get to love on you, uh, to get to care for you, because it comes from a compassionate heart, a heart that is always looking outside of itself for the needs of others. It follows Jesus' words in John 15 where he says, A new command I give you. Command, meaning you have to do this. A new command I give you that you would love one another the way that I've loved you. The question that we have to ask ourselves is, do I? Do I actually love people the way that Jesus loved people? That he was compassionate, that he looked outside of himself, and that he healed others? C.S. Lewis in... in, uh, It was a sermon that he gave, The Weight of Glory, that then became a book, Uh, but he talks uh, about uh, understanding unselfishness. We talk about unselfishness a lot uh, compared to love, and I love how he puts it. He says, if you asked 20 good men today what they thought of the highest, what, what was the highest virtue, 19 of those 20 would reply, unselfishness. But if you asked almost any great Christian of old, he would have replied, love. You see what has happened? A negative term has been substituted for a positive. And this is of more than a philological importance. The negative ideal of unselfishness carries with it the suggestion not primarily of securing good things for others, but it's really when we use it as kind of as to describe ourselves as unselfish, it means going without of ourselves so that others can have. Right? So, so what he's saying is, is that this idea of unselfishness that we would say that it is about what we're going to give up if you're, I'm an unselfish person, here's what I'm willing to give up for the sake of other people. But he goes on to say, uh, as if our abstinence and not other people's happiness is the most important point. I do not think that this is the Christian virtue of love. What he's saying is exactly how Christ lived his life. Is it unselfishness, agape love, the giving of yourself is 100% about what the other person receives. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do with us. It's us humbly laying our lives down so that others can, can receive whatever it is that they need for their lives. But we oftentimes love to make it about us, even in our own hearts and our own minds. Sacrificially, what have I given up? What do I have to give up so that others can have? And Jesus says, no, no, no. Uh, what you have and and what you're going to give up uh, means nothing if it means that somebody else is going to receive life. So give of yourself. And that's exactly what Jesus did. Compassion. In the middle of his exhaustion and maybe his frustration and his plans of wanting to be with his disciples, people came with sickness and illness and he had compassion on them. That was his first reaction. His first reaction wasn't, uh, right? It was my heart goes out. These are people that they need me. And so he loved. Real love is meeting needs for the sake of others. And he did that. And then he provided. On top of healing them, then we have this incredible story of this meal. He goes beyond. He's taking care of all their physical needs, the physical needs of the crowd and the miracles that would need to take place for them to be healed. But now there's this immediate need that the disciples come. They need food. Jesus, you've been preaching for a really long time and people are getting hungry. You, you guys probably all think of that every Sunday. Like, okay, time's up, we're starving, we're going to die, you need to send us home uh, so that we can, we can eat. Uh, I, I think that it's, I honestly think, I think it's interesting that it was the disciples that came up and, and talk to him about this because I love, I love the interaction that Jesus often has with his disciples because they're just real guys. A lot of them, even teenagers at the time. But I think there's a hidden agenda behind the question that they're, they're behind their, their demand to send everybody home. Because as we look at, at all four of the gospels and, and how uh, this uh, miracle is explained and all of the context surrounding it, what we find in Mark chapter six is that when Jesus is off by himself, the disciples come and find him to talk to him about all the incredible things that they did when they were out on their ministry tour. And Mark tells us that they were so busy talking to Jesus about this and that other people were coming up and listening and they were still ministering to people. It says that no one had any time to eat. So, so I think that, I think the disciples, yes, they're like, Jesus, look, there's a lot of people. I'm sure they're all really hungry, but in reality, they're stepping back going, i'm starving right like for all that we've been doing and he he just won't stop talking you know and and so uh, i think that they had a hidden agenda for just for themselves like i would really love it if you would just let us go home so that we could get something to eat but jesus had something bigger uh, in mind he, he he says to the disciples he says well give them something to eat and and you know he, he highlights it this understanding that it starts at this base of you don't have anything do you um in in john chapter 6 verse 5 uh i love what jesus says to philip when they they're like hey we need to send people home you know we they they haven't eaten anything it's getting late and and um jesus says to to philip he, he says i wonder where we could get some bread right and he knows he knows what's about to come And so they respond, we've only got five loaves, two fish from one boy that we found, probably because they went hunting. While Jesus is teaching, you know, they're walking through the crowd. They're looking like, does anybody have anything? Like, I'll take anything right now. I'm starving. And all they could come up with, they come back together. All right, do you guys find anything? No. One little kid has five loaves and two fish. A Jewish loaf of bread would be enough to maybe uh, be a, a bite for about three people. So right? It, it, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous to think that, that they would have anywhere near the food. They actually say this would cost us 200 denarii if we, if we would try to feed all of these people. That's In our terms, it's a half a year's wages to feed everybody. So basically what they're saying is the situation is impossible. They're not even thinking a miracle. They're just saying, everybody's hungry. You've taught long enough. It's time to go home. The, 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 the problem is, that as we look at it, is that the disciples overestimated the problem, right? They're all starving. You know, we got to get them home. Like They're going to they start to drop dead. We don't know. Like, but there's a huge problem. You need to send them home. They overestimated the problem, and they underestimated the solution, right? They underestimated the power. And I wonder, you, we can even ask ourselves, how often do we do that? We inflate the problem. And we just say, there's no way that God would ever be able to do this. And we totally underestimate the the power of God by saying just that. There's no way that He could do it. We don't think beyond. Maybe God wants to do something here. I wonder if, if you're like me and that I need to shift a lot of my prayers to God about the things that I need rather than here's what I need to really say, Hey, God, what would you like to do here? that's what the disciples should have done. Rather than demanding, hey, Jesus, here's what you need to do. This is going to solve everything. Send everybody home, they can all eat, You know, and and we'll be done. Instead, they should have asked, hey, Jesus, what would you like us to do? What would you like to do here in the midst of all of this? Because Ephesians 3.20 says that that we have a God who does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. Now, Paul gives us that context in in the idea of wrapping our heads around this incredible salvation that we have, that, that God would give us an understanding to be able to grasp it because God is a God who does immeasurably more than we could ever ask or imagine. If you believe that, what's your impossible? What's the, what's the thing that's holding you down and keeping you from really just passionately pursuing Christ in your life because you just think, I, I'll just never, this mountain could never move. I could never get over it. This struggle that I continually face. Maybe we just need to ask, Jesus, what would you like to do? Because I know that you're the miracle worker. I know that that you're the one that does great things. I mean, read through our scriptures. This is just filled from cover to cover with the impossible made possible. The Israelites out in in slavery in Egypt, probably never a thought in their mind that they're ever going to get set free. Because we're told in the book of Exodus that, that they've been in captivity so long they forgot about their hero, Joseph. So in other words, they, they were just generation after generation after generation born into slavery. I can't imagine that they ever thought, hey, we're going to be free someday. Especially if you're a small child. This is just the life that you live. Your, your biggest dream and hope is that you just don't get maybe beaten that day. Maybe you get put into a home where where people actually might show care, and then God shows up. Not only does He free them, but He leads them into the promised land. But in order to get there, they're stopped by by a sea. And there's no way, it's impossible that they're going to to get to the promised land because now their enemies are chasing them down. Nobody in their right mind would have thought hey, maybe God will part those waters that we could walk through, but God does the impossible. And He does it over and over and over again all throughout Scripture. No giant should fall from a, a small stone from a small boy's slingshot. But God does the impossible over and over again. Nobody ever thought that in order to, to get into that promised land, we got to get through our fiercest enemies and this city, Jericho, and how in the world are we gonna, going to be able to, to bring those walls down to defeat those people? And God says, why don't you blow some trumpets? No, right? right? I mean, right? Like, but but what, else, what, what else are we supposed to just blow trumpets? Because God is the God of the impossible. Do we trust Him with that? God doesn't do a lot with a little. God does the unimaginable with everything. He spoke the world into place out of nothing. God uses nothing and He uses little and He uses a lot because that's what God does. We just need to be able to see it. So Jesus takes this little sack lunch and He blesses it. A prayer of blessing in ancient times was, uh, was prayed as thanksgiving. For the provision that God had given. And it typically went like this. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God and our King, the King of the world that brings forth bread from the earth. That probably would have been the prayer that Jesus prayed. You are the God that brings forth bread out of the earth. You make it all happen. And he gives credit where credit is due because something big is about to happen. And Jesus is always about God getting the glory because he could have very easily with his power, Jesus being fully God, could have broken that bread and those fish and give it to everybody. But he wants people to know that this is coming from the power of God. And so he prays this blessing, gives the loaves to the disciples, and all of a sudden it just continues to multiply. We we don't hear any recording of like how the disciples like what they were experiencing or feeling in the middle of it i got to imagine their their jaws were on the ground but the food just continued uh, to multiply jesus knew what he was doing it was in his timing so that everybody could understand what it was that he was doing they had a, they had a hunger they had a need and he fulfilled it What's really rich in this text, along with, obviously, this incredible miracle, is the fulfillment of what people were longing for. They were looking for for a Savior to come. They were looking for the Messiah. It's amazing how blind they were to it when when they knew all of the prophecies of the scriptures of old, as we talked about last week, that the book of Malachi ends with, you will know that uh, the Son of Righteousness has come, you'll know uh, that uh, the Savior is here because He will be Elijah, like Elijah. So they were constantly, Jesus even asks, we'll talk about this in in a couple chapters from now, Jesus asks his disciples, who do people say that I am? We know from last week's text that Herod uh, was trying to connect Jesus to Elijah. Maybe he's Elijah. Maybe he's John the Baptist reincarnated. We don't know. Uh, But the disciples say to Jesus, well, a lot of people think that you are Elijah, returned. The greatest prophet of old. And part of it, I would imagine, comes out of this text because of what happens. Jesus multiplying the bread because it happened for the prophet Elijah as well back in 2 Kings uh, chapter 4. Elijah comes to Gilgal and it says there was an extreme famine in the land. There was no food for anyone. And there was a stranger that came along and gave uh, uh, 20 loaves of bread to um, to Elijah. And Elijah said, go out and feed the hundreds of men, the hundred men that are out there. And people were like, well, there's not enough. He said, just go do it. And as they began to feed the men, it says that the bread multiplied and there was much left over. So there, you can imagine being there that day and having Jesus multiply the bread that the people would be like, he's, this is Elijah. He's come back down from heaven to bless us, meaning that the kingdom of heaven is now here, it would have really, really caught everybody's attention. Much less, even if you didn't know anything about your ancient history, your past. Did he just, did he just multiply that tiny little meal and feed all of us with it? Jesus always provides more, and there's twelve baskets left over. There's purpose, and there's meaning behind it, 12 disciples who are going to be called to, to when Jesus would leave this earth to lead the church and to believe that great things can happen, when we give it over to the Lord, that they each come back up with a full basket of bread. They started out by handing out very little, probably pretty shy, hey, don't take too much, you know, we got a lot of people that we got to feed, and then at the end, here they come, each with an incredibly full basket for themselves, they probably just walked away just in awe. Jesus does more. But for this final point, I want us to understand that that Jesus is our Savior. And that's actually the entire reason and point behind this miracle. As we've looked at the miracles of Christ in these first 14 chapters, and the reason that we're slowly going through the book of Matthew is because we're called to make disciples. That's our purpose, and that's our mission on this earth. And the best way to go in to make disciples is to study in depth the greatest disciple maker of all time. As followers of Jesus Christ, as disciples, our, our goal is to be like the one that we follow. And so we want to be imitators of Christ. And so we're digging deep into Matthew for the same thing. How can I be more like Christ? And what we find as we continually unpack these miracles is that Jesus didn't do miracles for miracles' sake. It wasn't like He just went around doing these things for people to, to applaud and be wowed. He did it because it would be followed up with, with a teaching on who God is, that people would understand of God's power and, and then understand Jesus as the Savior and as King, as Messiah. And Jesus did care about people and He healed sicknesses, He drove out demons, He cared about people's hunger and, and their, their thirst and He created wine out of water and gave, uh, was chatting with the woman at the well about water, but it was always about, so what are we supposed to know from this? As we've studied the parables of Jesus, that Jesus would teach a parable and He'd get with His disciples and go, now, here's what I want you to know. It was always about something more. And in Mark one thirty-five, in the book of Luke, chapter 4, verse 42, Jesus had been healing people all night. And it says that he early in the morning had to get up and just get away by himself to pray because no matter where he went, the crowd was following him. And so he just needed time alone with the Lord. And sure enough, his disciples come and interrupt his quiet time. And they say, you, you gotta, you gotta come out of there. Like you, you've got to come back to the house because you would not believe the amount of people that are waiting outside for you to heal them, for you to take care of, of their sickness. And Jesus not being mean, but staying true to his mission and his purpose. He says, guys, uh, let's just go from here and we need to go to a different town. He, it wasn't that he didn't care, but he's saying, I have a, I have a, I have a more important task to do, and that's to, to preach the good news to all of mankind. For this purpose, I have been sent. And Jesus was always about preaching the good news of the kingdom and using the things of this world and his miracles to be able to do that. There's, there's a greater need here than people's illnesses, physical illnesses. And I think that's absolutely true for us. God cares about everything that we uh, deeply need and about those deep things that our heart cares about. God does care. Uh, but uh, So I would say, you know, God cares about our financial needs, but He cares more about spiritual bankruptcy. And and God cares a lot about those that that are hungering, those that don't have food, but He cares more that we would thirst for righteousness, that we would long for Him. And God does care about diseases and illnesses and sickness and broken bones, but He cares more about a broken heart and an empty heart that doesn't have Him. And Jesus is on mission to feed souls, and in doing so, He does care about their other needs. So the reason I say all this is that if you want to, you can go to John chapter 6. I'm not going to be able to read all of it, but it is a rather lengthy interaction that Jesus has with the crowd. So what happens is uh, that Jesus performs this miracle. They all eat, and they're full. It doesn't say what happens next. All we know is that he went away with His disciples, and we'll get into this, but He goes away, with, sends His disciples away out onto the lake, and then He goes off again by Himself to pray, and, and then He has another incredible miracle where He walks on water. But this is at night, and the crowd has all gone home. But John chapter 6 says it's the next day. So all of this took place. People go home, and I'm sure they're at home going, you're never going to believe this. Maybe they go to their neighbors and go, you're never going to believe this. That that Jesus guy, incredible teaching, but he multiplied food for thousands of people out of absolutely nothing. And so you are going to wake up early the next morning and go, I don't want to miss what's next. And so they all come out looking for him. And so here comes the crowd again, and they find Jesus that next morning and they have this uh, interaction that we find in John chapter six. Jesus gets a, a little bit stern with them, and and, and he says, uh, "I think that you're looking for me, not for miracles, but you're looking for me because I gave you free food. Like you don't you don't really understand who I am. You haven't accepted what it is that I've done for you. You're wowed because I I, I fed all of these people." but it really hasn't sunk in with you yet. And then he challenges him. He says, don't dedicate your life to just the pursuit of filling your bellies with food that, that isn't going to fulfill you. It's just going, going to go away in an instant. What you need is you need food that that's going to endure through eternal life. So he's teaching again. And he says, in the eternal life that, that you need, only the Son of Man can give you. And um. What's amazing, if you read through this interaction in John chapter 6, is the, uh, the cluelessness of the people. Because they came, because he had now fed 20-some thousand people with a tiny little meal. And they come to him and he said, look, you're not, you're not here really to find out what this is all about. You're just, you're just here, maybe I'm going to give you another free meal or something. You're going to get wowed by something. And, and he says, only the Son of Man can give you food that will last you eternal life. And their response to him is, Well, could you give us a sign? Right? In other words, maybe you could give a miracle, do a miracle that would help us to understand who you really are. As if feeding 20,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish wasn't enough. Can you give us a sign so that we can really trust in in who you are? And, And they say, Our forefathers. Uh, got manna in the desert manna was like this bread that would just grow in the morning on the on the grass and people would just scoop it up and they would eat their fill and every day as they wandered through the desert god would give them uh, this bread that they would wake wake up with And, and jesus jesus tells them he said look moses moses didn't give them that bread that didn't come from him that came from the father in heaven and then Jesus brings it all to light in John 6, He says, for the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. All of that, this incredible miracle that Jesus does in multiplying the bread and the fish was leading up to this point where Jesus could drive the point home to say, did you see what God did for you yesterday? And he said, but you, will, you won't even believe. Here's the unimaginable. Uh, that that he actually that God is giving you more than just bread for the day. He has already given you bread for all of eternity and it's me. Uh, I am the bread of life and he says it over and over and over again. He says whoever comes to me will never hunger and whoever believes in me will never thirst. In verse 50 he says I am the bread of life. The bread that one can eat and never die. I am the living bread that came from heaven. And if you eat this bread, you will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my own flesh. I'll give up my life for you. That if you would receive me and understand that my body broken for you offers you eternal life if you would just receive it. The unimaginable. Right? The the impossible. A guy who was rejected by his own hometown. Nobody believed in who he was. All they wanted to do was to see these miracles, sometimes just a magic act in their eyes. What good can come from Nazareth? What, what good are you? You're, you're nothing but a carpenter's son. And there's, there's a whole lot of talk by the people in town about where you came from and, and who your mom is. But Jesus says, look, I, I'm the gift that's been given to you by the Father uh, I'm the bread of life. Uh, I'm your Savior. It's a pretty incredible thing. We're wowed by it that 20,000 people can be fed by a few loaves and, and a couple of fish. But I would say that it's even more incredible uh, that, that trillions, dare I say, of, of individuals, you, me, everybody who's come before us and everyone that will come after, uh, could have our lives rescued and saved from our sinfulness and our unholiness by a holy God, uh, by one man who laid down his life for us, and he is the bread of life. We're going to take communion together. We're going to focus in on this incredible gift that he has given, this miracle of him giving his life up for us.
0: times, He gave us physical reminders, and that's what we celebrate today. As you take your uh, cup, you have in there a little piece of bread, a little juice. Because Jesus wanted us to not just remember what he taught, but to see and to touch and to feel what it means. He says, I am the bread of life. He was talking about how God has provided for his people throughout all time. Whenever they turned to him, he provided for them. And he was saying, when I, he says, I'm the bread of life, that he's the one who is the final solution, the final one that they should seek after in hunger. Because everything else to eat, everything else that God gave them to eat, they had to eat again. This represented what they could eat, him as their savior, and never be hungry. And so he gave us a physical reminder. He said, when you take this bread, whenever you get together, when you take this bread, you remember what I said, You remember what I've done, but you remember who I am. I'm the one who can be this bread for you and for everyone who believes. And so it's a moment of saying thanks. It's a moment of worship. It's a moment of remembering. It's also a moment of examining our hearts. Paul says, don't take this casually or flippantly. Don't participate in the body and the blood of Jesus without examining your heart. Where are you with the Lord? Where are you with each other? And take a moment to repent of your sin to reconcile with a brother or sister and to take these moments very seriously he wants to meet us and that's why he gave us something physical so the how we're going to do this is sometimes we take them all together and sometimes what we like to do is just allow you to take them as you are led as you're praying as you're going to sing a song now as you are engaging with the words that we're singing whenever you're ready you can take the bread, you can take the cup and as you do that, remember what he said. He said, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you as the new covenant. The way in which you have been saved. The way in which you have life. So we're going to celebrate his great love. We're going to sing about his great love. And at any point over the next few minutes it doesn't have to be any time in particular just take the bread say thank you. Take the cup. Thank you Jesus for being life, for bringing the solution to my deepest hunger, which you offer freely. We thank you. So let's just take a minute now, and then we'll start singing. In a little bit, we'll stand and sing together. In any of those moments, you can partake of the communion.
1: tells us of the feeding of the 5,000 and the story of Jesus multiplying food for, for people. And in reality, when we break it down, it is the gospel. As we read through this text again, we understand that, that it starts with Jesus having compassion. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And Jesus left the glory of heaven to come down to this earth to give us what we need. And he gave of himself. He, he met our needs. He provided for us the one thing that we, that we really can't provide that we can't provide for ourselves, and that is a way to the Father. And in doing so, says that Jesus, in giving up His life for us, is uh, the Savior of the world now sits enthroned in glory, sitting at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us, still caring for us, loving us, and wanting more and more people to come to know Him. I think that's why the disciples had each had a full basket left, It was a commissioning of what it is that that they needed to understand of going and doing. We today took the bread, the bread of life, right? And remembering Christ's body broken for us, but to understand it as as his followers, there are a lot of people out there that have not tasted the goodness of the bread of life. And we've got baskets overflowing and we've got the source that, that can take what it is that we do and through his power to make an impact in the world as we go and we make disciples. Let's pray. Father, as we go from here, we love you. And we thank you. Jesus, you are our Savior and our Lord, our King, the one that has given up his life for us. We acknowledge you today and we walk in understanding that that our nourishment, true spiritual nourishment, our life, our, our reason for living is you. It's come from you. We want to live for you. Help us to go from here and to tell the world about it. So Father, may you remind us each day as we take steps that in the middle of our struggles that you are a God that shows compassion in the middle of our needs that you are a God that provides, and most importantly, that you can give us joy each day in remembering that Jesus, you are our Savior. We give you praise for that. And all God's people said, Amen. Happy Sunday, everybody. Have a great week.